Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can find the FTCA, if you don't know what it is, on Facebook by searching Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You can find us on Instagram at FTCA underscore official, and we have a Twitter we never use, and there's the website forwardthinkingchiro.com. Membership at forwardthinkingchiro.com is tremendously inexpensive for doctors at $7. And for students, uh, hold off because in May we're going to be celebrating the FTCA's sixth anniversary and we're going to be giving away student memberships for free. The reason we can do that is because we have amazing sponsors, sponsors like China Gel. China Gel just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. They are fully in support of the chiropractic community and they have an amazing product. Be sure to check out China Gel, chinagel.com and uh, support them back for supporting us. Also sponsoring us, FTCA, is the T-Tool at thetool.com, an amazing instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization device. It is like a Swiss Army knife of IASTM tools. It is legit. You can use it over clothes. It's got many different angles and bevels and surfaces you can work with. And it's one of my favorite tools that I've added to my mix lately, the T-Tool. So check out the T-Tool. You'll want one of those in your bag of tricks. And finally, our third sponsor of the podcast is Parker Seminars. Check out parkerseminars.com. They've got a a bunch of great events coming up in end of July, early August, October. And then Parker Seminars, the granddaddy of them all, Parker Seminars, Las Vegas, 2021 is February 18th through the 20th. I I can't say enough about how, how well Parker Seminars has stepped up their game to provide some really, really top content. Speaking of which, our guest today was just a presenter at Parker Seminars Las Vegas 2020, uh, and he did like a whole day at Parker. So our guest today is a coach, a physical therapist, an author, and a speaker. And along with his wife, Juliet, they are the co-founders of The Ready State. The Ready State began as Mobility Wad in 2008 and has gone on to revolutionize the field of performance therapy and self-care. My guest received his doctor of physical therapy degree in 2007 from Samuel Merritt College in Oakland, California. His work has been featured on 60 Minutes, The View, The Joe Rogan Experience, CBS Sports, Outside Magazine, Men's Health, Men's Journal, and dozens of other books, including his own book. He's an author of the New York Times bestseller and Wall Street Journal bestseller, but there's two of them, Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's also co-author with his wife of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Deskbound. And his latest book, Waterman 2.0, offers a water sport athletes a comprehensive guide to optimize movement and pain-free performance. Uh, what I really wanted him on here to talk about today is just stuff because you. this is another one of our great guests where you just push record and let him go. But uh, our guest has the readystate.com. Check out the readystate.com. It is customized mobility coaching developed by our guest and tailored to your body and your lifestyle. There's a 14-day free trial going on right now at thereadystate.com. I know with the current circumstances when this is being recorded, 
of the coronavirus and people being locked up in their homes and a lot of practitioners are really going towards the world of telehealth, telemedicine, telecoaching. Game has to res- uh, game has to recognize game and there's a master of this and he's been the standard bearer of the product for so long that you cannot touch, you cannot mess with the readystate.com and you cannot mess with my guest, Dr. Kelly Starrett. Please enjoy this interview and get your 14-day free trial at thereadystick.com. All right, everyone, welcome to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and I'm with Kelly Starrett, as we went through it before we push record. Uh, dude, Kelly, how, how attached is your ego to the doctor title? Am, am I supposed to call you doctor? You're going to get pissed off or... Well, you know, it's one of those things is that uh, I have a clinical doctorate. And, That's right. Uh, and uh, my father's a physician. My grandfather's a physician. My mom's a, a professor. And I, I actually have dropped, sometimes when I need to be in the, a room full of, you know, and get my bona fides, people will identify me that way. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I'm in, some, <laughs> some, I'm in some amazing rooms and uh, everyone's pretty badass there. So I'm just Kelly. Yeah, that's right. And we're podcasting anyway, so. I wanted to go. Uh, I want to go macro as we first get started because there's a whole world of stuff to talk about right now. Uh, where's your headspace? Uh, I wanted this to be like an evergreen podcast that could last through eternity, and maybe it will in some sort of time capsule. But we got to talk about this novel COVID nineteen virus thing and how it, it's also turned into a mind virus with people's behaviors and a business virus because we have to navigate business waters and keep the doors open and all that stuff too. Where's your headspace on all this? Well, I, first of all, don't think we did a good job of honoring and respecting uh, COVID-18. Um, <laughs> no, and seriously, um, you know, I think what's really interesting, what I, if I had to take this 30,000 foot view, I'd say, okay, what opportunities are here, right? So this is the first thing that I'm wrapping my head around, which is maybe we can get people to walk more, maybe we can control sleep for a minute. Maybe we can hit the brake on consumerism and commercialism, right? And maybe we can sort of reconnect just slow things down for a second i Take mean i think nap. yeah yeah w- whatever it takes and um so I'll, I'll just say that right like it's pretty amazing to see on the internet the sort of bounty of things you can do at home which is something that you know you and i have been preaching for as long as we we we've been doing this is like hey look low side of control is on to the person and the more we can do outside the clinic, outside the office is the goal. You need to be independent. I mean, that has always been the goal. And what we're starting to see is, well, let's find out if we are. Let's, let's see where the rubber hits the road here. But um, the implications on small business and, you know, uh, who is it? Mosh, Moshi Feldenkrais said that, like, he thought health was the, I just saw this today on Z Health. Um, but uh, I was familiar with Marshall Feldenkrais because being a PT and then also because yeah. my, I had a girlfriend in college, she was a rolfer. And uh, so, you know, I had a rolf and, and Moshi were friends. And one of the things he says is the degree of your sort of fitness, your wellness is the biggest, the, like to the degree of which you can take a, a shock to your health and still be unperturbed, right? That's really your robustness. Right. No, and if we apply that to a lot of our small business or especially wellness, it's not, we're not a very robust system. The system is very metastable. And you're going to see as a lot of things collapse and people are just living by on the margins, trainers, coaches, PTs running cash businesses. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. 
I've read a really interesting article and I, I don't remember where I read it because I was uh, thumbing through my uh, phone at lunchtime and I don't remember who the author was, but she was a fantastic author and she had like eight or nine observations about this virus mm. and you nailed two and you nailed the two that I thought were the most poignant that she had named out. And one of them was, this is an excellent opportunity for us as Americans to just take a little step back and realize what is important and what isn't in our lives. Uh, and maybe take a little break, take a little nap. Consider this a little moment on the hammock before we have to get back to life in general. And we're not going to get back to it, you know, and I think what we need to see is, um, you know, our gym is closed. So we've owned a gym for 15 years. Yeah. So it's, we call it our teaching hospital. It's our test kitchen. You know, it's where we really put the rubber to the road. It's our, it's our practice. We have physios there. It's the beat laboratory. That's right. It's exactly right. And, uh, it's a skunk works. And, um, one of the things that's happened is we've been forced to close and I'm sure that's appropriate. You know, it really <laughs> is. And, but comma, zero rent relief. Um, you know, we're all our, we're, you know, my wife is the CEO and she runs a really great ship and we have a huge, you know, I would say as a decent you know, nest egg that we saved on that business. We have two corporations, but the other business, so that we can weather something like this. We just felt like some black swan event was coming and we didn't ever want to be on the margins. And I think Juliet and I grew up as uh, children of single working mothers where resources were sometimes scarce and we were stressed. We feel stressed about money all the time. And so we live, we live in sort of scarcity yeah. mindset. And then, you know, combine that with the fact that we were dirtbag river kids forever, living off a truck and not making very much money. You know, we, um, so we really, we're conservative and we can pay our coaches for three weeks. You know, we didn't have to lay anyone off. No one's furloughed. And theoretically, is this thing over in weeks? Well, we're going to see what happens when we have big overhead to meet with, you know, a gigantic payroll. You know, we're, you know, that's, that business is a small business of like, you know, but our payroll is immense, you know, like $1.7, $1.8 million a year. And, um, you know, these are a lot of people who have these downstream needs and demands. And I think when we start to think differently about that, it's a, we're going to have to apply these lessons to so all aspects of society. How do we take care of a community? And that means your neighbors, your family, like the people who live around you, how do we share resources? You know, it's, you know, we're going to have to have microgrids and, <clears throat> and to be frank, this is just the, the preamble to the, the, the big show. Right. I think when we start to confront climate change and sort of the other, you know, you know, uh, if you, you know, wait till the, all the, the viruses and bacteria comes out of the, th the thermofrost when it fills, I don't mean to be, you know, doomsday, but man, in this moment, Julian had been very stressed for the last few days trying to figure out a way to keep our gym intact when this thing, you know, is finished. I like, I want to push a pause button on that right now, just to, there are a lot of people listening to this that have small gyms or they have clinic gym hybrids, yeah, you know, that's right. and uh, they're losing their stuff right now. And to hear that from somebody who's a big player in this game, that they're going through the same exact thing, I think for that sure. should, should be, I don't know if it's comforting for them, but it's got to let them know that they're not alone in this situation. Um, and, and you do, you need a community and you need this microgrid mentality, this, um, this small town mentality, uh, live where you work, uh, work where you live. Everybody is a community with each other. That mentality has got to come out of this scenario where we understand that that's what it means to be a human. I, I really appreciate that. You know, um, it's interesting to just, we, my family, we get along pretty well. And I'm talking about my two daughters and my wife and I, 
And, um, you know, we love to travel together. It's actually just been, you know, us hunkering down feels like, you know, an international trip for us. It feels yeah. great. So we feel really close. And, you know, having teenage daughters, you know, it's easy to suddenly end, <laughs> end up, you know, you know, being related to a person to which you have, you know, nothing in common. And so, yeah. um, <laughs> You know, well, I heard, I heard teenagers, they're either, there are two people in one, they're either 34 or four and you have to understand which one you're talking to at the moment. <laughs> uh, one of my friends described it as having all the dwarves in one body, except, <laughs> except the happy dwarf. So, you know, and, and of course I was never a teenager myself. I just skipped through that, yeah, yeah. that at nascent phase. But you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, how we're communicating, uh, the, you know, there's a chance our kids won't be back into school. Um, the implications on food security for a lot of kids. Um, this is social justice for, and parity around the internet and access to tech. Um, you know, yeah. we've been pushing, we think that the phone, you know, even people who are really, uh, you know, struggling for food insecurity have phones. And not always, of course, and I don't make the, the generalization, but a, a smartphone is, is pretty much standard issue. And um, what I'll say is, we have a real opportunity to continue to democratize information and to, to deliver it in the pocket of someone. And that's yeah. maybe a lesson that we're going to have to see here. If you have, if you have a, an iPhone and you can get on public Wi-Fi, you can get on Zoom, you can, you can go to school, right? So that's right. That's, that means that we can think differently about how we manage healthcare, how we deliver healthcare, how, we, how do we maintain contact with patients. And the conversations we get to have, you know, around these things and, and trying to shift everything. But, you know, we've been saying for 18 months now that the revolution is in the home gym. You know, we've seen, we've seen the shift where, you know, at our gym as, a, as an allegory, um, you know, there are probably 20 Illico barbells that people own that they leave at our gym, right? So if you don't know what an Alico barbell is, that's the Alico is the brand they use in the Olympics for Olympic right. lifting. And they're usually about 800 to 2000 bucks for a bar, depending on which one you get. Right? right. So imagine you, you are a person who, you know, our Alico bars apparently aren't good enough for you and our <laughs> Olympic lifting, but you want your own because it's, it's your identity. And so what we've seen is that there's for a larger, big chunk of the population to whom the, some of our people are listening uh, can relate is that people pay out of pocket, they're responsible for their own health, and they become the nodes for the entire community around them around having these conversations of diet and exercise nutrition. And I have come to really strongly believe that the, we'll call it human performance, strength and conditioning, fitness industry, really, and, and the best chiros I know, the best physios I know, usually have a hand in that side a little bit because it informs so much of the decision-making we're deciding around public health. This is yeah. what we think our best practices around eating and around sleep and around performance and around, right. And feeling safe and, and the all finish of those line is always there. No That's matter right. where you start with disease or injury or illness or it whatever, is. the finish line is always like sleep, nutrition, exercise. And those are the baselines. If you're working with people who have to perform and use their bodies for their living, not we all do, of course, but you know, that that's a conversation, you know, that sometimes gets lost. Or, or has been recently rediscovered in the biopsychosocial model that people talk about or the whole person. And I'm like, well, you, if you've been around coaching or teaching or movement your whole life, that has been the game. If you're going to get dancers to dance, they better feel safe and be fueled and, you know, I mean, just at all. So I think that there's a lot of, we're going to stress test the system right now. And it is a stress test and we're going to see how well we do. 
That was another aspect of the author I cannot remember whose article I cannot recall. <laughs> another point she made was, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things we do right now that all of a sudden governments and businesses and facilities are all of a sudden releasing these, the constraints of those things like the financial burden or a tax burden or a, uh, a way that a, a community polices their own or throws people in jail. They're like, we're not going to do that anymore because of the virus. And it bleeds on to the next question of, well, why did we do it in the first place? Like uh, uh, Craig Liebenson is really big right now on utilizing this term, the tyranny of a visit, the tyranny of the visit. Like mm. if we, if we don't need to have the tyranny of a, of a medical visit, why are we doing it in the first place? Why can't we do it? digitally or uh, telemedicine or from a distance. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, my own background as a student, I did one of my long six month affiliations at a big busy Kaiser in San Francisco, big Kaiser hospital. And um, I had, uh, the schedules were so impacted. Sometimes it would take, you know, people, you know, five or six, you know, weeks to get in, which is incredible. Sure. And so you had a short time, and then the follow-up would be 10 days. And so you get maybe 45 minutes of about because I was a student and I was sucky. And uh, then I get 30 <laughs> minutes as a follow-up. That means I had an hour and 15 minutes in over the course of, you know, X amount of time to actually make some real change. And so what I really had come to value was this intercession change was so valuable because it was the only way I could actually get someone to change a behavior. Or, or, so I thought differently about the things I talked about, what I prescribed, you know, you know, the behavior changes and then even the communication. And, you know, that really put me on a course, I think, you know, because, you know, we, we come out of that. And then when we started uh, the original mobility, while the original mobility project in 2010, I started making a video a day. YouTube was just barely a thing. The iPhone didn't have a video camera yet. And so even in physio school, while the technology was nascent and developing and emergent, you still didn't have people, you know, you know, taking, you know, snapshots of their MRIs and texting you. That just didn't happen yeah. yet. And, you know, and so the amount of kind of the way we approached what was possible in terms of shifting control and shifting what we, what we viewed in our, our scope as, as non-skilled care. It's skilled in terms of like, you know, you're the plumber and you show up and, you know, you know where to turn the one wrench, you know, one screw, one quarter, make the whole system work. And I didn't know that. I mean, that's still valuable. But at some point, it would be great. And, and YouTube has taught us that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we can figure out. And what I like about that is this gives, us, gives re, a, a person to, to reimagine the experience of working with a healthcare prof, you know, professional. Look, there's no substitution for putting your hands on someone and having a conversation with someone. Yeah. That, is, that is human magic power. And I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, you know, there's a lot of things that someone can do on their own. And we, I think as an industry, and I'll just speak for on that behalf of physios, have been spending a lot, getting away with a lot of low level care for a long time and things that were in the domain of someone else or, or at least the person that didn't need a physio for that. Yeah. Uh, it's a sports terminology terminology. It's like a bunch of cornerbacks on one team and you, you still need the other positions to, to get this ball either in or out of the end zone. That's right. You know, and, uh, and chiropractors are just as guilty of that. I mean, I think mo if you look at most of the evidence nowadays, like if you look at uh, things that have been published in the Lancet low back 
uh, series and things like that. We know what we're supposed to do when it, as clinicians when it comes to the evidence. We know what we're supposed to do, but actually doing it, actually implementing those things is just not there. It doesn't, it doesn't exist like it should. Well, and, and it's and changing behavior. Yeah. Ultimately, this is all about changing behavior. Yeah. Right. Moving behavior, posture behavior, lifestyle behavior, stress Billing behavior. behavior. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a behavior. Yeah. And um, it's changing behavior is really difficult, and no one does until they're forced to. And you know, we we call the you know these you know these moments of transition where someone you know I, I work in a lot of high performance sport. Um, choose a sport, choose a, choose an Olympic discipline. We, we, we are really fortunate in that um, I get to go behind the scenes and see a lot of dirty laundry, um, you know, from, I was just at the NFL combine working with every strength coach in the NFL not too long ago, right before the, this all happened, you know, the next was at Microsoft talking to them about public health. So I, I see a, a lot of this. We're going to have to think and, and decoding it. I lost you for a second, but let me, uh, I'll just stay on the line. There we go. Yeah, Yeah, you're back. I'm here. I'm back. Sorry about that. No, it's uh, aliens. (laughs) The internet is going to break because we're all on Zoom right now. That's right. Everybody, by the hour. Let's go. uh, Let's pick it up at, um, so you're doing something at at Microsoft? Do you have uh, an event or you're tasked to perform some sort of uh, What I think, well, you know, one of the things that we're fortunate is, is seeing all these, you know, different kind of components and pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And what, to your point, you know, is we're trying to change behavior. One of the things that we see is that these inflection moments of changing behavior are something's not working because I'm injured or I'm in pain, right? And those aren't the same thing, of course, or I'm losing. And usually we find that when, when someone is, confronted with those there it's sufficient enough pain that they'll that they'll make a change in behavior and you know what we're seeing is these large corporations are just dumping money down the hr low back healthcare absenteeism presenteeism you know hole yeah. and what we're we're not doing a good job and you know we're going to have to we're going to have to wrap our heads around you know what is it we're supposed to do as human beings are we going to do it it'll be interesting to track you know epidemiologically are we, will there be less, you know, are, are people so stressed we're going to have more problems? Are we going to see less back pain because people aren't sitting at desks all day long? I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, it's, it's evidence in motion. I don't know what it's like in your neighborhood right now, but when I went fishing and I just came back right before we got on this podcast, I have never seen so many people in my compu- community in Portland, Oregon, which is an active community, out for a walk or at the park with their families. Right. Uh, it's almost like uh, somebody released uh, what was that the video game the the you had to find the dinosaurs on your iPhone <laughs> the, right. the Pokemon it was like a new Pokemon just came out everybody was out uh, doing stuff it was pretty impressive so do you uh, did you ever read um, Orson Scott Card he wrote uh, uh, Ender's Game yeah 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 a and long the, time ago but yeah, yeah and the, the follow up was called Speaker for the Dead and basically this family goes to this settle this planet. And um, lo and behold, uh, there's no, there's tech doesn't work, and all the kids have to get off their pads. What they he called it back in the 80s or 90s when he wrote it. No, you know, didn't even know this was coming, or maybe he did. But um, the kids had to like come up with a new way of, you know, playing and interacting, and you know, um, you know, Netflix certainly has uh, has changed changed fundamentally, and I think changed what we do, how we interact, what what we consume. 
you know, we had some friends on Facebook just put out and they're like, Hey, we're going to put our chairs out in the yard between five and six every night and just have a virtual happy hour. And I was like, Oh, you mean like before there was air conditioning? Perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, where people sat on the porch yeah. and we called off. that a barbecue. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so, you know what, you know, I think if anyone was going to read a book right now, the, an appropriate book to read would be tribe by Sebastian Younger. Yeah. And where great. we are, where we're talking about, um, you know, what is it about us that hasn't changed? What is it we're supposed to do? And why, why is it so important that we belong to each other? That's great. Now, where does the ready state fit into all this? How great it, question. Where is that a cog in the, in the puzzle here where it could fit? Well, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is we, I spent a lot of time trying to uh, decode complexity, right? That's, that, I just, uh, popped into my head, uh, you know, and, but in short, what we see is uh, a kludge effect and a kludge is um, when you have an ugly, ugly piece of software that does work and then you just keep bootlegging and bootstrapping software on top of it. Yeah. That's and then my pretty, website right now. Yeah. It's everyone. Everyone has this problem. You have all <laughs> these plugins and you're trying to manage all this and all of a sudden you have this really inelegant, inefficient system that you can't change. And you can't even tell how things are connected and where the, where systems are conjoined. It, it ends up being very confusing. And, and you know, human health is one of those kludge effects where um, you know it's hard to see inputs and outputs. You know, um, there's a lot of a lot of good theorists have talked about this as a normal accident when people have an injury or a pre what we say is like preventable disease, you know, is that, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm like, yeah, and you've been getting away with it for 20 years. And then all of a sudden your tissues were like, you can't do that anymore. Right. And, um, for example, right. Like you can eat little chocolate donuts and smoke. And then one day maybe you can't, and then you're really right. confused because you've been eating little chocolate donuts and smoking every day of your life. So what, what would change? Well, you know, something in the system, you know, the system was so robust that wasn't able to express itself. So we see these kludge effects where people are adding in and adding in complexity and adding in, um, you know, more things. And, uh, you know, we can't add any more things. What we need is more time to free associate, more time to walk around and chill. You know, so if, you're, if you go to the gym and try to do all of the pre-activation, warm-up, skill, you know, prehab, strength training, cardiometabolic conditioning, down regulation, like, dude, there's not enough time yeah. in 60 minutes, the tyranny of the hour, right? Yeah. We'll call it. Thanks, Craig. And um, <laughs> what we're trying to do is, is one is simplify this system. And two, talk about for us, what ends up being, we see as a looming, a looming problem, which is sort of people's inability to move through the environment or to manage pain related symptoms or their own, their own, you know, feelings about how their body is stiff, painful, whatever whatever words they want to use. So what we're trying to do with the ready state is say, look, in this sort of environmental configuration load, what can we control? How, how, how is it a morning breathing practice? How does that relate to my being able to pressurize before I front squat or to improve my time, my breathing on the Peloton? And then how do I use that same breathing to help downregulate when I'm doing some soft tissue work at night? What are my movement minimums that we all had to Memorize in you know PT school and physio school you know you know the you know, El Rancho gate like why is that important what you know what is that you know what why did I have to memorize all these ranges of motion for all the ankles and all the you know the toes and if if I never reference them again or more importantly then I'll put them back into the context so what we're trying to do is create a resource for uh, companies 
and for individuals and for coaches to be able to desensitize and make themselves feel better, to restore their position, and also to enhance their response to exercise, the adaptation response. So all those things we see are sort of facets of the same idea. And when you have a, when you have a, a principle that runs through them and sort of a narration, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can be more skilled. I can restore my range of motion. I can maybe desensitize this painful tissue and I can make myself feel better and I can right, be able to explore my environment more better, more better, more easily because I have ankle range of motion. I can get up on now off the ground without my hands. I'm not going to likely to fall. So yeah. all of those things, how, what does that look like now? And now what is the minimum doses and where are we going to put that? so that someone can actually make sense of it. That's what we're trying to do. What does it look like as a, an end user to be a part of the ready state? Well, you know, what, what are you going to make me do? <laughs> that's right. Well, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, you know, my um, sort of the big project paper I wrote, you know, in our, in my clinical school was, uh, you know, I looked at barriers to adherence. What keeps people from doing what they say they're going to do? That was really the, the hallmark. Again, we're, we're right back at behavior change. Yep. And one of the things we notice is that, man, if I, you know, the dirtiest secret in physical therapy is adherence. You know, I give you some exercises, you nod your head politely that you're going to do the exercises. And then you come back and I'm like, did you do your exercises? And they are like, sure, I did them. I'm the last paper I read was less than 50% adherence. Oh, I think that's exercise. really generous. I, I thought it was like so, 42 yeah. or something. <laughs> and we, and it's actually really complicated. And, you know, um, I remember there's a great study where they gave people M&Ms trying to replicate uh, the complex AIDS, uh, HIV, antiretroviral regimens people had to be on. And, and people who were, people couldn't even take the right M&Ms at the right time of the day. It was just too, it's too complicated, right? And, and so one of the things we appreciate is that, you know, people are, have, decision fatigue, et cetera. So what we, we end up doing is trying to think about this duty cycle, this 24-hour cycle, and say, hey, where are the moments where we can have some actionable change? And we see that it's first thing in the morning. You know, you can, you can do a few things better for yourself first thing in the morning. You can, as soon as you leave the house, or if your kids wake up and you're making breakfast, that's it. It means your day's gone. Yeah. And it's rolling. Then we say, okay, well, what are the behaviors that we can do? How, like, what, what does that mean? So during the day, well, may, maybe it means I eat a vegetable if I can. I eat a whole food. Maybe it means I try to drink some water. I, I shut my caffeine down at 4 o'clock. Um, I'll try to walk more and uh, maybe, maybe do as many standing meetings as I can, right, or walking meetings. And so what I'm trying to do is think, hey, how do I, how do I manage this time where I, my time isn't my own, which is really remarkable about where we are now because the time is really your own for this next couple of weeks <laughs> and we're going to, and you can really change your behaviors. And, um, you know, and so suddenly then you're, you're back, to, you know, maybe you get to the gym. So how do we maximize that time at the gym? You know, is, is rolling on a foam roller for 10 minutes, the best use of that precious hour that you had in the gym. And, and our feeling is it's not. And, uh, you know, unless you have some painful spot, you need to desensitize so then you can move. But the gym is the diagnostic tool. And what we're seeing is if you don't have a movement practice like yoga or Pilates or CrossFit or kettlebells, if you can't sort of assess your minimums and, and really tap into something we call movement vital signs, then how do you know if, you, you know if you're missing hip extension or your hips have gotten stiff? Well, if you're doing yoga, you're going to find out because we're going to touch those things. And if you're in a good yeah. strength and conditioning program, we're going to find those things. And if you're doing elliptical and biceps curl, you're not going to find those things. So then you know, hopefully you learned something about yourself. So it wasn't just, you know, you're not just a, a, an animal on a, on a uh, treadmill, but you're becoming more skilled. 
you're becoming more coordinated, you're practicing, you're, you're in a community, you have some unconditional positive regard, right? You kick up all the hormones, you get stronger, whatever, whatever it is. All those things roll into the pain science portion as well, you know? Oh like boy, isn't that lack true? Lack of movement awareness, then your Ooh. body, your uh, nociceptors become very curious about what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean. They're looking for problems. Right, well, I think you're, I think you're 100% right. So then we get home and we're like, okay, where are we going to do this soft tissue work? Well, we found that if, if we had people do a little soft tissue work in the last 10 minutes before they went to bed um, or in the evening towards the end of the evening when they're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or watching the news, like that's a perfect time where it wasn't another ask. It wasn't a heavy lift for someone. Kelly, and, they say soft tissue and, and soft tissue works completely worthless passive modality. Oh, is it? Well, because that's not what the research says at all. And, <laughs> and not only is it not only is that not so, that statement not supported by the, any of the research, but it's also not supported by our clinical practice, right? Yeah. And what's amazing is is that um, you know, and I know you're being totally facetious. facetious, of course, of course. But what we're seeing is, man, uh, you know, we have people do a little soft tissue work, roll out their quads roll out their hips, right? Just roll. What's, what feels tight for the day? You have this whole diagnostic day. What, what feels tight? Where do you feel your stiffness? Where do you feel tight? Where do you feel tension? What hurts? Yeah, bring then, context and, to it, sure. That's right. And then you roll around for 10 or 15 minutes, integrated breathing practice. You know, do some contract, relax. You have some end range isometrics. You're doing long exhales. And guess what? Not only can you make yourself feel better, maybe improve microcirculation, but then you actually fall asleep and you feel sleepy and your sleep latency is decreased. Your sleep density is increased. And what we see is that people start to feel better. And then we, we're starting the rolling practice where, you know, um, because you slept a little better, you move, your desire to move is a little higher if your car, whatever it is. So, you know, the, the thing is what we have done a crap job of, and the physios um, were, were late to the party on this, my Cairo friends have always been morons, but things are changing. Is that we haven't? Do you just call us morons? No, you said moron. No, no, no. <laughs> More of them. Sorry, my Cairo, my Cairo friends. Um, have We've been, been all more, about this game. We've been all about this life. That's right. And and what we've seen is, um, going back into our movement traditions. It's like we invented movement science in the last fifteen or twenty years. Sure. Right. And then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah, all of that yoga, all that Olympic lifting, all that running, all of those sports that we've been doing, that all meant that was all bullshit. And it's not. Yeah. And uh Feldenkrais is over there sort of like waving, Hey everybody. I've been around. <laughs> I've been rolling on the ground, yeah. trying to bring some input and awareness back to your body. You know, you know, uh what it's one of our friends calls shoes like foot coffins. You know, he's like, imagine right. just putting mitts on your hands and then just trying to go through your life with these wool mitts on your hands. Little pillows on your feet. Yeah, you know, I just we just you know we were in Thailand over uh, over winter in the new year, and um, my wife and I got a Thai massage every day for like fourteen days, and it was a lot of input. And some days I was definitely trashed from these like little <laughs> sixty-year-old grandmas just tearing me apart. But I realized. Um, how soft we all are, how our bodies are really just so twitchy and sensitive. And all you have to do is have like a, literally a 65 year old Thai grandma standing, you know, you, you know, putting your hip into internal rotation and then sort of standing on your IT band and, uh, and, and not your IT band, the interface of your quadriceps, your engine, that, that interface, that set. Yeah, that outer right? three fourths there. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then me tapping out and she's saying, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go again because it's still gross. Yeah. You know, and her Thai way. And, um, and then, you know, three or four days later, realizing that she's walking up and down 
no problem. And I'm like, wow. And I'm running better and my squatting is easier and I feel better and I slip better. And, you know, we have so removed the care and feeding of the human being, you know, out of the exercise tradition, out of the, the, the care for ourselves tradition, you know, like if someone, if someone, something's hurting, your friend should be like, give me your, give me your forearm. Let me, let me work on it for you for a second. Like I don't need a degree to have like rub on my friend's body. You know, we're just not that fragile. And, uh, and we've just, you know, when we, I go to schools, one of the, I was supposed to go to a high school and like next week and talk, I'm talking to school for four or five years now. And I talked to every freshman, sophomore there. And when I asked the kids, how many of you are pain-free? And you think all the kids would go up, hands would go up because they're kids. They're all freshmen, sophomores, but literally like three hands go up. And I'm like, well, what hurts on you? And you can see the teachers, like their eyes just kind of bug out. Like what? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, people are like, oh, my low back hurts all the time or my feet hurt, or my knee hurts. And I'm like, who knows what Severs disease is? Who knows what Augustus Slaughter's is? Like who knows? And like all the hands go up. And, and really it's just remarkable that we have basically said, oh yeah, you're a human being. You're going to be in pain all the time. Get used to it, kid. And, uh, you know, and by the way, we're not going to give you tools, even though we right. have really great tools that you can manage to make yourself feel better. But, you know, we have removed those things or medicalized them. And uh, that's a shame. If you start empowering these kids to move freely and think for themselves and and question authority, they're not going to work in these factories, my friend. Are you trying <laughs> to mess up our economy? But did you see, did you, uh, you have five kids, but have you read Weapons of Mass Instruction? No, I have not. I haven't read oh, that one yet. It's so good. That and Raising Cain. And really what, what's really interesting is when you begin to just, you know, when I, when I left, I, I came out of PT school. I worked at a very fancy orthopedic clinic here in the city. And I, and I was conscious about going there because there were really good providers there who were really experts and were doing long-term course teaching and just badasses. Oh, great. But also... Yeah. I hadn't seen all the surgeries. I hadn't, I hadn't rehabbed 50 ACLs yet. I didn't know what a meniscus transplant looked like. I, there was just a ton of things I hadn't seen. I was like, I need to go see these things. And then I split and I was like, okay, I, I got it. I'm going to open my own clinic. And everyone thought it was crazy, you know? And I was like, well, you know, I made $80,000 a year as a fr- my first year out for this person. And I brought him in $500,000. That was, I was the number one, you know, referring PT there. And I, and I had a network and a coaching network. So I wasn't alone. And, you know, when I, I, when I went out, but, you know, no one had done that in my PT school. No, no, it wasn't a possibility yet to think differently about the way we could have care. You know, I was running a gym at the same time and realizing, boy, I could have these conversations about movement practice and, and, you know, Hey, I, I don't know if this inability to put your arms over your head is causing your shoulder pain, but I think you should be able to put your arms over your head. So let's fix that or let's improve that. Oh, your pain went away at the same time. That's really weird. I don't know if those are conjoined somehow. And, you know, then you start to apply that sort of open thinkingness, you know, what else can we, how else can we think or reimagine this? And it's very difficult, you know, to reimagine education of a student. It's really, it takes time. It takes patience you know, the glacial pace may be the breakneck pace. But when we started thinking differently about who was responsible, when it was going to be done, how we thought about the language used and the tools we used, you know, what we saw was, you know, maybe, maybe we had a different way of, uh, of applying our, our critical thinking to the sets of problems. How about this thought? Are we supposed to, are we supposed to live out our movement full movement potential, our full movement capacity. 
Are we supposed to, so, so human beings have been endowed with a certain performance capacity uh, that, that, that hasn't necessarily changed over thousands of years. Humans are what they are. Uh, are we supposed to live the full metrics of every single capacity we're supposed to have, or are we supposed to specialize in our movements based on what's required? Like somebody who built the pyramids probably had this different aches and pains and symptoms than the person who has to sit in an office all day and they never got to express their full capacity, either one of them. Uh, but we know it's there. Are we required to go there, or are we required to really specialize in the places we need it the most? Well, I think that's a really great question. Around, I tried to think about it. I tried. It, it's a great question. The question is, how much range of motion and capacity do I need? Well, you know, in the WHO or the NAGI model of disability, someone is injured or disabled when they can no longer occupy the role in society, right? So there we go. that's a good metric. Sure. I think that's, you know, and if we go back to George Hebert, who was the original, the original thinker of MoveNet, you know, before it became, uh, you know, our modern movement, MoveNet, right. it was Movement Natural. Uh -huh. now, yeah. He said your idea of, of your fitness was to be useful. Again, giving it context. Um, there's a, a well-known physician right now who's talking about the, having the hundred year old games, you know, like what, what were the Olympic games you would do for yourself? Centenarian games, uh, Peter Atia, if you were going to be a hundred, what would you do? And he, he listed off a really whole bunch of traits, but none of them were like, my, my friends at snowboarding. Um, yeah, it's not pole you know, vaulting. Like <laughs> outrun or there was no, there was no context. It was all like sort of, you know, the kinds of things you would test in a lab. And I was like, who gives a shit? Like, who, right. who cares about that? Like, really is, like, the goal is to be able to fully enjoy your life and hopefully do it in a way that is robust, that allows you to have, you know, make mistakes and not be penalized for that. You know, and, and I think what's interesting right now is I'm 40, I'm going to turn 47 this year. And I think very differently about my movement practice and my, and my fitness than I did 10 years ago. And certainly than I did when I was in my twenties, sure. you know, what I, what I like to go back when I twenties and have that body again, well, I would like to be able to treat my body the way I did and bounce <laughs> back as fast as I did for sure. But, um, my wife and I really are playing that we're planning on being a hundred years old. You know, I have, I, as of last week, uh, my, one of my aunties passed away last week at 101 years old. She lived in the basement independently of my of my aunt and uncle's house so she was cooking and hanging out she's had some help once in a while she fell and broke her humerus uh -huh. didn't have any pain went to the hospital and then just went to sleep just the healing of that humerus was enough to just tip her over the edge at 101 no pain no respiration lived independently just went to sleep my other grandma's 99 and i have another grandma who's 100 and um so there's indications are that uh, we're going to, we're easily, you know, I have this proof in my own life that we are going to be that old. And if you've read Yuval Harari and Sapiens and you appreciate sort of the amortal nature of the bent of where we're going, we are all going to live much longer than we used to just based on science. And I'm not talking about the current trends towards diabetes and obesity. I'm just saying that physically we, we have it in us to make it a hundred. I tell patients with a finger wag, I say, you're going to live a lot older, a lot longer than you think you are, whether you like it or not. I, I, think, this is, I, I think this is true. I think you want to die, die well as late as possible. And you know, you know, that, that curve where you just fall off the edge. So what is it that you need to do now? Because 
the question you asked is really this interesting existential question. Let me put it in the context of my own work. So I work with Olympic track and field and one of my Olympic track and field coaches is probably the most decorated, you know, track coach I know. He has probably 30 to 50 Olympic track medals with his athletes. Um, he was the coach to uh, Andre Lagrasse uh, Le- in uh, the last Olympics. He's the guy who got second to uh, Usain Bolt. And, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, he's like, hey, man, you know, we don't need all this dorsiflexion. Everyone's obsessed about dorsiflexion, but we just need enough dorsiflexion. We need zero. You know, we need no dorsiflexion so that the foot could be sprint so that we, we can sprint. We're Olympic sprinters. And I was like, and there's your point, right? How much dorsiflexion do you need to be occupy your role in society as an Olympic sprinter? And I said, okay, I agree. You only need that much. But I said, do you, does he walk downstairs? Does he, <laughs> does he, does he ever need more than that? And he's like, well, I guess he does. And I was like, okay, does he, does he squat or do any strength training? He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so he needs a little bit more. So he needs enough that he can do his sport and train and occupy his activities of daily living. But more importantly, I said, well, how do you know if he doesn't have enough? And he's like, what? You know? And I was like, well, how, how do you know? And what we saw was if he doesn't have enough, motion this coach could identify the the signatures of compensation for an olympic sprinter which is when he doesn't have enough dorsiflexion his foot would turn out and then it would right. affect his next strike right his foot would spin and um so it's like okay so you have a whole complicated set of compensation signatures that you know when this athlete's missing dorsiflexion you need to work on it so what does that look like for us what's the movement vital signs and it turns out movement vital signs are pretty simple like can you squat all the way to the ground you know, like, can you, um, you know, can you get into plank and breathe? There are, there are some really simple, we think, nice expressions of normative native range. And the problem is you don't think you need them until you fall or until something happens. And it turns out you had no internal rotation. So when you started swimming, you're, you didn't have any internal rotation in that shoulder. So you became impinged or you lit up the front of your shoulder or you got beat or, Right. So at some point, well, one of the things we, we can say is, hey, this is enough that you're not in pain. That's great. But let's chase to be able to get to do the things we should all be able to do. And as you become older, we know, for example, that your, your ability to get up off the ground without using your hands is an excellent predictor of mortality. Right. And it, it tends to look at balance and range of motion in your hips. And what's the number one reason to end up in nursing homes? Falls. False. What's yep. the number one reason we die after age 70? Falls, hip fractures, and falls. Hip fractures. So it seems to me that keeping an eye on these things earlier in life with just very little work, just, just sit on the ground and work once in a while, right? Just let, you know, we don't have to formalize it. We can, we can make it a lot more play oriented or just bake it into our daily lives. So it's not one more thing we have to do. And it sure is a lot easier. You know, um, my current obsession is this thing called the slack block. And Ooh. it's a, like a slack line. You biohacker, please pour it on me. Slack block. So, um, and I found this, you're going to love this. I was at, uh, Tim Ferriss is one of my besties. So I'm at his house. So <laughs> talking about biohacking and, uh, and I'm in his garage and I find this thing in the corner. I'm like the slack block. And I, I'm like, I know what it is. Cause I have a slack line in my side yard. And so I'm on the slack line all the time. Um, I have a, like a balance beam I keep in my kitchen. Just a little like uh, speed rail thing I put together. I balance on and practice because balance for me is one of those things. I'm like, can I have too good a balance? Never. 
can I be too skilled at like standing on one foot and waving around and balancing? No. And it's a game. It's, you know, it, it wakes me up. It lets me know how trashed I am from my last workout. And it's just noise. It's in my kitchen. It's, it's not, it's not ugly. It's inobtrusive. And I just kind of noodle on, it. I play around with it. And, um, so I found this slack block, which is basically a great piece of like a wood piece. It's like three inches by like 10 inches. And it just sits on a really elegantly sculpted piece of foam. So it feels like a, a, a slack line, but without any of the danger or death or need to set up a slack line, right? Cause you can do it in your kitchen, hold on to your counter. And um, you know, what I'll tell you is, man, if your ankles get stiff, as we were talking earlier, you lose that ability to write yourself and your center base of support, you know, really changes in terms of how far you can go over, what your excursion is. And this is why we measure standing on one leg, standing on one leg, eyes closed, and why they're excellent metrics of all the things that we care about. And what we see is that if you have ankle stiffness, then your writing response is delayed and you're much more likely to fall over. So no, I'm living it, man. I'm living it. I played basketball for most oh. of my young life. And, so your uh, so ankles, ankles, your ankles are, are concrete now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a couple months ago. I was, I think I was at the airport. I was somewhere where I was using the stairs and I caught myself halfway down the flight of stairs with my hand on the rail. And I was like, what the, how, <laughs> why? And I pulled my hand off that rail. I was like, you never put your hand on any rail. You balance your ass down these stairs and you start bouncing. <laughs> yeah. The Russians say when you stop jumping, you start dying. And, yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, and we, it's one of the reasons I put jump roping into everything we do. We jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. And you can do a lot of jumping just by, you know, not leaving the ground. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, something we talked about earlier, just you know, not having this, this sensation through the feet, just not getting the input. The, human, the reason you have a nervous system, let me just lecture the Kairos for a second. The reason yeah. you have a nervous system is so ultimately – you can perceive change in your environment. That's it. But the expressions of that are so that you can walk around, you can reproduce and you can feed yourself. I mean, that is nervous system 101, right? It is the most complex structure in the known universe. Well, it depends it, on which Kairos you ask. <laughs> it is looking for input all the time. It is so sensitive that it, it, it picks up sensations and nuance and things they're not even conscious of. I mean, this yeah. thing is, is amazing. And it makes and, up some too. <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth? But, um, it seems to me that, you know, it is, it is a rented, you know, ability and capacity are rented and, and borrowed temporarily. And you have to be putting money in that bank. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to just be compounded saving. Make a difference. You know, I listened to my grandfather and um, when I'm obsessing on my, Oh, you still got me. Yeah. I'm still there. Got you. Okay. Uh, when I'm abstaining balance all the time and it, as a 47 year old guy in my background, I'm just deadly on my skis. I do better on my mountain bike. You know, yeah. I feel better on the ground. I like my feet are stronger. I don't have foot ankle pain. And it's one of those things that we we just have a chance to re-envision our environment and our role in the environment. And that is how we're going to unravel this by through that change at the person's home in their environment, in their daily habits. That puts a cap on that existential question of mine. We've been endowed with this tremendous amount of capacity and it's, it's up to us to uh, a maintain it 
and then B, find out what purpose it will serve for us and then uh, pursue that ser- that purpose. You like that? Yeah, oh, yeah I, there I, you go. I, I like that. I think that's really, and I, because I, I, at some point I'm like, well, how strong do you need to be? Honestly, like how strong, you know, yeah. like strength is never a weakness. I'm like, well, 600 pounds, 700 pound deadlift, what, 800 pound deadlift? You know what I mean? Like show me you're a skilled person. Let's put you under some load. You know, I'm a huge fan of rucking, um, which is where you put a backpack on and you walk. Yeah. You know, I just I'm like, hey, let's load the spine in a way. Ironically, yeah, it's good for back pain. Ironically, yeah. Some some back pain. Yeah. <laughs> some some back pain. And um, but you know, if you have loaded those discs your whole life, I just saw a guy who was 90 years old. Did you see this? He deadlifted 405 for a triple. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, his technique is good. You know, he looks <laughs> he looked great. I mean, you know, and uh I I just think I think it's a shame that most of us, because of, you know, when, when people come in, they're oftentimes apologetic about where they found their bodies, especially in their 40s and 50s, it's right? Guilt, right? And they know I should. And it is. And I, I just say, hey, look, you are a product of a system. If you want to be pissed, be pissed at your parents, be pissed at your, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you came out of, a, of an environment and you're a product of that environment. And that's okay. And now we know that there are little, you know, like you probably should eat some whole foods and maybe stay away from saturated fats. We, you know, we, um, there was that wonderful experiment we did in, as, a, as a culture where we were like, alcohol is bad. And we banned alcohol. <laughs> and then uh, there were riots and, and crazy stuff. And then we were like, maybe that was a bad decision. We changed our mind. Like we have the right to change our minds. Like we, this is what we knew then. We were wrong. Low fat, high carb you know, corn-based diets, maybe that's not the greatest thing for us. Yeah. And this is a great, once again, this is a great moment to test those things and shed some of the, the beliefs that have been put on us and that we uh, accepted without thinking like maybe we should be out at the park walking more. You know, um, when my, we had a daughter, uh, who was born a little bit early. Um, the daughter before that, um, was an emergency C-section. And so the placenta had grown into the, to the scar. So our daughter came out a little bit early, but Juliet heroically decided she was gonna get to 34 weeks, got to 34 weeks. And as we were being discharged after three weeks in the neonatal intensive, intensive care unit, um, they were like, okay, give your daughter these vitamins. And I was like, but my daughter's breastfeeding. You know, my wife is like a savage. She just yeah. is gonna like, we're going to breastfeed because and that was a choice and she was lucky and th- no, People who can't, I get it, right? right? I, I was raised on formula because the doctor told my mom, you shouldn't breastfeed. Formula is better. So I was like, okay. So um, my, I look at them and I'm like, look me in the eye and tell me that breast milk is incomplete for the babies. Go ahead. And they were like, well, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, show me the science. I'm here to give me your logic. And there, I was like, what is it about breast milk? And they were like, well, I was like, what's missing? And they were like, vitamin D. All of the women who were giving birth in San Francisco didn't go in the sun or didn't have sun exposure. So they didn't right. make vitamin D. And so the vitamin D didn't happen in the milk. So they had to tell the parents, you know, give your kids this shitty vi- polyvisol that makes your kid burp and taste like, you know, hell. And instead I was like, oh, you mean I just need to put my kid in the sun? Check. Got it. You know? And like, you know, they were like, whoa, 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 you can put your kid in the sun? I was like, that's right. Because the human being is a sun vitamin D soaking up machine. And when we come back to those base principles, I'm sure there's a technological solution to this, but I think the body is anti-fragile. I think it's resting state is like 
pain-free and thriving and it's, you know, you can eat a chocolate donut once in a while and, you know, but you can't drink every night. You can't not sleep. You can't be a stress case. You can't yeah. not feel safe. Yeah. That's not war. My friend, these bodies are made for war and they're made for surviving epidemics. They're made for battle. That's right. And, and a chocolate donut every day and a Coke every single day is not war. <laughs> I, I, I like that's that. like yeah. a sugar based concentration camp. <laughs> Someone was telling me, uh, they're like, uh, they're using, you know, um, Spanish flu. And I was like, well, look at how stressed everyone is after World War One, you know, yeah. and malnourished. Like we weren't really our best selves there, were we? You know, and so we should be able to avail ourselves. And what's really interesting, I think, is redefining then what is the role of the practitioner in this? What, what role do we have? Do we just keep waiting for people to break themselves and then we show up? And we're like, okay, yeah. you know, well, you know, that made a lot of the physical therapists I knew really uncomfortable, you know, and, and they would say, you know, you can't go from cause to effect like you are, Kelly. And I was like, well, I stand on the effect side and I stand on the cause side and I see relationships and patterns between the two. And it turns out that good, good movement is also the techniques we use to go the fastest, jump the furthest, throw the hardest, lift the most. And it also correlates with your normative range of motion and what all the joint arthrokinematics indicate, right? Like there's no dissociation in that. There's no, there's no you know, gimmick there. So the real question then is, you know, where do we want to work? Do we just want to go around and put out fires the rest of our life? Because that doesn't feel very good. And if we look at our burnout in our fields, it's really high. People are burned out and people aren't making the money and people are going into huge amounts of debt because, you know, that's what, that's what's required for our education. And then we come out and we don't have the opportunity to, you know, get out underneath that. Yeah, no, it's true. And it, it, I mean, there's a historical slant to this that is probably a whole different podcast in itself on how the, the empirical thought process came from Germany and, and infested the Midwest right around the same time all these professions were showing up, like physical therapy and chiropractic and osteopathy. And the education system was consumed with this uh, empirical problem-solving approach instead of, uh, you know, chiropractors get beat up all the time for using the term optimal health Op, in optimal performance and nobody knows what optimal is like show me show me your machine for showing me how i'm optimal <laughs> right right but but that's the language we're speaking and we we can and and i think some of the the empirical folks are uh nervous about using that language because it's not measurable what optimal is but uh when you talk to somebody like kelly star at i used to say stare it all the time um there is a way to measure optimal. There is objective ways to look at this. And, and we need to, I would say we need to revisit the ideas of optimal or what, or how to define optimal for each person and what that means. In the context of the, of what you can control today in the context of what's important to you. Yeah. It's not fantastical. It's not mystical or uh, fairy tale. It's like, what is optimal for what you want and what you can do. And you know, I have a, I have a, an Olympic, a shop putter friend who doesn't have a, an ACL. He just doesn't squat. He just, you know, <laughs> it's fine. He just doesn't, you know, he just, he figured it out, you know, and at some point that may cost him, you know, and banging around and having primary instability of that joint, probably not going to be great for his uh, surfaces or his meniscus in the long haul. But, you know, the, the key here is saying we have choice, right? This is not the tyranny of you must be able to deadlift two times your body weight. You know, we've seen recently um, uh, movement in physical therapy to to demonize teaching 
better mechanics when you lift something up off the ground, right? Oh, like, yeah. How do you put, you know, because the, and rightfully so, the, the message of fearing of rounding your back, that was, that, was, that was not doing anyone any help, right? You're, like, go to a yoga class, by the time you've rounded and flexed your spine 2,000 times in that class, you'll be like, okay, this is something that someone valued at some point, right? I should be able to do this. And, um, but what we know is, hey, picking up heavy things with uh, less than great technique doesn't translate to picking up heavier things with, with crappy technique, right? So we've really tried to move away from the language of don't do this because you get hurt because that doesn't change anyone's behavior to let's move this way because then you can continue to move this way and then you continue to move this way faster under higher loads and higher speeds and that the, the techniques and the move biomotor expressions that we're teaching turn out to be sort of these universal principles of, of running, of, of jumping, of, of we're seeing the best expressions of human function this way. So when we talk about optimal, at some point I'm like, hey, what really we're talking about is are you a skilled human? Your ability to express that under load, I think that's where it gets weird, right? How strong you need to be? You know, how strong are children before we let them run? You know, they just yeah. figure it out. You know, so how, how strong, how fit, how, I mean, that's the, I think the problem is that optimal is sucked into the language of, of output, not into, are you a skilled person? And can you, can you maintain your balance from the ball of your foot to your heel as you lower your center of gravity to the ground and take a poop in the woods, you know? Or do yeah, you have totally. to, do you have to create a novel solution to problems that aren't novel in making? You know, I think that's, that's one of the issues I hear all the time is that people are like, Oh, it's just a novel, just your body is solving a problem. I'm like, why is it having to, <laughs> why is it solving that problem? Like you, because it's okay that I don't have any hip flexion. Like that's okay. That's, that's not connected to my back pain at all that I have zero rotation in my hip and I have no flexion in my hip. Maybe those things are a system that it's easy to pick up that deficiencies in that system if i watch you squat yeah that's the old pain science joke uh, where the the clinicians like uh, your your pain is just a perception of your body's awareness of danger versus safety and the the, the patient's like it wasn't because i was hit by a bus <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, um didn't you have if i remember right this goes way back you have like some sort of trashed wrist or something like that and oh, you were you were lifting a different like you were you were cleaning you had a different method for cleaning and well it turns out i have uh you know i have been collecting um issues collecting you know, mice like, in your wrist yes and uh you know i broke my hand broke my wrist gotcha. dislocated my right elbow tore the tfcc in my wrist and so i don't have any wrist extension it just doesn't happen so i just figured out what you're referring to is i figured out a way to clean a barbell like Olympic lift, but I let go with my right hand during yeah. the lift and the barbell floats and then I catch it on my shoulder and I, I got, became pretty competent to that. Did you ever have any repercussions from that? Cause I remember there, they used to argue about uh, K star on Facebook and how he was eventually going to his wrist was going to fall off or he was going to eventually hurt himself. No. Uh, yeah. No, that never yeah. happened. There's like a limit, right? Your brain. Well, yeah, there's a limit. Yeah, that's right. And for me, I was able to clean three, full clean 370 pounds in that position, <laughs> which, seemed, which seemed enough. In fact, it was great cook PT because at one point I was turning 40. I was 39 and I was like, Gray, I think I want to clean 400 pounds for my 40th birthday. And uh, he was like, wow. And his Southern draw is like, why would you even do that? You're not, <laughs> he's like, you're not even known for that. He's like, and the, the things you're going to give up to get that 400 pound clean aren't even worth it to you, you know? So yeah. 
you know, some of the things that we're doing, it's just, you know, I I had enough tissue tolerance. I was skilled enough. I practiced enough. You know, there's no way I was going to get hurt doing that. Um, You know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, six years ago, I put my femur through my tibia in a ski accident. Well, that's different. Yeah, I have these kissing bone lesions in my knee and um, I just destroyed my meniscus. And um, like, I mean, like imploded it, just, you know, like just popped it. And, um, you know, I, I stood up and I was like, Ooh, that hurts. You know, I kind of feel like I sprained my knee a little bit. So I was like, babe, I better ski down. So I skied down and I was like, I think I'm done for the day. And, uh, you know, fast forward like nine months later or something and Juliet's like, yeah, you should probably get a picture of that, you know, cause it's kind of bugging me still, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, so I got a picture and the, the physician read it and, uh, he was like, you should, uh, immediately stop moving. <laughs> he's like this is one of the worst knee injuries i've seen in a long this is time the knee of a 90 year old yeah and i was like mm, you know i just peered on my deadlift last week so i don't know what you're talking about and um you know i i think these bodies are really robust if we yeah. systematically expose them to load to tolerance to movement to you know what i mean like we got to load yeah. and um you know i i think i didn't rip my knee off in that ski accident because i was very strong you know, instead I sent that energy through the bones instead of out the side of my leg. Right. And, um, you know, when I, I had a DEXA scan like three or four years ago and I was like four devi- standard deviations away from normal. And I mean, you know, I, I didn't even fit on the DEXA machine and I was like, well, what does it say about the quality of your equipment that you can't even measure my bone density, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and this, I'm not special. I'm a 46 year old guy with two kids and, you know, who like, systematically puts myself under load, has a physical practice that changes and, uh, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. And I think sometimes we've, we've definitely made exercise so complicated and it, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. I got like uh, two more as we wrap it up uh, because I identify with you. I'm, I'm almost, you're, you got me by a couple of years, but I got you by a couple of kids. So that kind of evens out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you're ahead. But uh, like, how do you do it? How, how does Kelly do it? How does he do the time, the family, uh, relationship with the spouse, pra- movement practice, breathing practice? And then most importantly to me, uh, being a guy who's in my own head too, is like, how, what is your thinking process? How are you able to think about these things that are bigger than what you're about to do in the next 45 minutes? Uh, well, one thing is that I... Um most people just ask you, how do you find the time, Kelly? That's right. You know, I had my genetics tested and um, there are some really interesting genetic markers. We haven't even talked about that as like predictor of, you know, Achilles strain and rotator cuff strain and discopathy. But um, I have a large, large desire to train genetic component. Like my gameness and drive to move is through the roof. Yeah. It's like 96 percentile compared to Olympians. Like I'm like, let's do it. I'm in. My recovery, my ability to recovery is much lower, which has gotten me into some trouble my whole life. Um, but I don't ever have a drive issue to go move my body. And I think because of that, I had, let's see, I'm, I'm a fourth generation Irish kid that gives me five generations of alcoholics ahead of me. And um, yeah. I was terrified of being an alcoholic as a kid. And I had this genetic drive to move, which I just fed, just fed and fed and fed. I mean, did all the sports, played, we rode our bikes, we hiked. We just did as many dumb things as we could do all the time. We were just nonstop. And, uh, you know, we've, I grew up in a small Bavarian town in Germany. And um, 
you know, we value the, the best athlete amongst us was the kid, the girl who could backflip off the high board, who could ski, who could, you know, I mean, she, she could do everything. There was this one girl who was just like, we just all aspired to be her, you know? And, um, what I'll tell you is that drive really has solved a lot of problems for me because I didn't get into alcohol and I sidestepped all the drugs and, you know, I just, I fed my drive with movement and it's not an accident that I met a woman, my, uh, my brilliant CEO, three-time world champion, whitewater paddler wife. Who's like a Portland. mirror image of the girl in the Bavarian town who could do exactly. it all. She, uh, she, um, you know, as an attorney, is the CEO of our family now. Um, I met her at the world championships and she's my workout partner. And, you know, she has always loved to exercise. And so one of the things that we have together is that we train together. That has really solved the need for us. But, you know, having a home gym, as we were talking, I think before the show, you know, it's, if I have to walk through the door from my kitchen to my garage to get to my Airdyne or my rowing machine or my kettlebells or my barbell, I can work that out. If I have to drive somewhere, that's never going to happen. You know, yeah. so one of the things is that we try to reduce the barriers to adherence. Like what keeps me and the more steps between me and an action that I know is going to be difficult to take, it's likely not to, not going to happen. So, you know, to, to the extent that, um, you know, how do we manage it all? Well, we have a one goal and that is that the common goal is we, it does this decision get our family more time together or less time together. So we run everything through that filter and it's complicated and messy and we work our asses off and I'm not, you know, I don't get up and have some perfect routine, but there are just some non-negotiables like my sleep, non-negotiable. Like Juliet and I are often, most of the time we're in bed in the nines, right? We don't drink. Yeah. We, we, we're not against drinking. We just found out that when we drank alcohol, we slept like crap, felt like crap the next day, straight up. So we just stopped drinking alcohol and we now save alcohol for celebrations, right? That's how we think about it. Like great moment. Let's have some champagne. Let's have a great glass of wine, but not every night. And again, what worked for me was that when I saw the effects on my sleep and my heart rate variability, you know, I just stopped drinking and um, you know, so sleep, you know, I, I try to do something every day, some kind of movement practice. We try to get our 10,000 steps. And then I just try to play the best game I can. And it helps that I own a gym and it helps that I have a home gym and it helps that I'm a, an exercise nerd. But uh, I try to wrap as many of those things in I can as I can. And, with, you know, sometimes that's, you know, I get my 10, you know, sometimes it's, I did 10 minutes of breathing before my kids got up. I walked around a bunch during the day and I rolled out my quads during the night and opened up my hips. And I was like, boom perfect day, perfect practice. Cause I don't see exercise as part of a physical practice. I think it's a great thing to do and, and certainly important, but uh, it's, it's one more thing I layer in after I've taken care of the basics. Yeah. Once you name it, it's now it's a thing. That's right. Yeah. That's a part of the Tao Te Ching there. <laughs> name, we, well, or we said name the devil. And yeah. so, uh, you know, so uh, once you, know, you name the Tao, it's not the Tao anymore. You that's know, right. Giving it a name. So I think, I think for us, you know, and everyone who, who, if you own your own practice and you're, you're, you know, we, you have the same life I do, you get, it. I mean, sometimes, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm like, Ooh, I'm cooked. You know, there's nothing left. I've been pouring my cup into everyone else's cup today. And what I got in me is a little short walk after dinner and, you know, some soft tissue work. And then tomorrow I'll, 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 the game starts again. And I think when we, when we look at business and we look at our own health as a game we can win, 
is a game that has clear rules and a clear end date, that's a sucker's, that's a sucker's bet. You're not going to yeah. feel good. You're never going to win. You'll always be chasing something else. But if you can you know, play that infinite game where you're really trying to play better and more elegantly and keep everyone else in your family in play, and then you know, don't worry about it. You got it. And, and sometimes you know, for my kids, they're cooked and busy and da-da-da, and I'm like, you know, we're going to do 100 kettlebell swings, and that's, that's check the box. We did something today. That's good. That's good. Uh, my last one, man, this is a hard question to ask. Oh, boy. I'm asking for a short – primer i don't i don't I'm, fuck if we, these these are my real calves is that what if, you're gonna ask? if, if it, we talk for five hours i don't care but i'm trying to be respectful of your time so a short primer on breathing mm. importance the existential the, importance of breathing yeah well how about this uh iangar said it best the nerves are king of the breath the breath is king of the brain um we see this as one of the fastest ways to change brain state and we see it as one of the fastest ways to change your mechanics. So um, most of us have never had any formal breath training unless we were singers or we played an instrument or we were in yoga. Um, you know, I was a terrible chest breather for a whole lot of reasons, developed terrible asthma, used to give my, I had to register my inhaler with the International Olympic Committee. And I, I'd used probably 20 puffs of rescue inhaler a day at my worst which is a lot oh, no. of you know, venolin, albuterol. Yeah. And uh, when, I, when I started to wrap my head around eating differently and um, being a lot more aerobic-based, forcing myself into better you know, these diaphragmatic breathing patterns, guess what happened? My asthma stopped being twitchy and, and basically just went away. I mean, I had done everything. So I was a chest breather, and I paddled in a canoe – which put me into a position where I couldn't, I didn't know how to breathe very effectively. So I did all this passive accessory breathing. And guess what? Guess who ended up with a brachial plexus traction injury on his yeah, right side right. and whose hand went numb. Right. And so you have to see breathing as a component to that, you know, that, that entrapment or that, you know, whatever you're going to call it, you know, um, you know, loss of motor function, stiffness, elevator first rib. Uh, and, I think if we're, it's one of those things that the system is so robust and so redundant. Sometimes it, it, we can get a by by being, breathing terribly for a long time and don't appreciate how that impacts our sort of fight or flight response, our ability to downregulate or manage stress. Um, you know, it's we have donut breathing. We have it is, and we have put we now have put breathing as the first thing we teach. So if someone comes in with low back pain, the first intervention is we teach them how to breathe. And I mean, we just work on mechanics, you know, like show me how much air you can get in through your belly, ribs and chest and back. Right. And then we teach them a desensitization technique and maybe we're just extending and flexing the spine a little bit. So the brain doesn't think that that's a threat anymore. Maybe we're circulating lymph or restoring, you know, yeah. dissociating diaphragm. I mean, who cares? It's all those things, right? It's yeah, working on yeah. all those things. You know, what we see it is it's the first movement. So if we're moving beings, then breathing is the first movement. And if I'm trying to untangle a, movement pattern that's also you know co-inhabited by persistent pain chronic pain right same pathways then all of a sudden the first thing we can do is say hey let's change how you're moving and we can do that by breathing and we can change how the brain is paying attention to those things through breathing and then also it, it scales all the way up whether we're dealing with soft tissue or trying to create higher intra-abdominal pressures you know so i have a person who comes in it's on morphine and 
you know, and failed radio frequency ablation. And I mean, her life is oh, not man. great right now. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, what's the first thing we do? We, I'm like, I don't touch you. I mean, every red flag is going off for me. And what I am going to do is I'm going to teach you how to something you can do every day. And you know, that's the same technique then that I, for me, scales up that I work with my Olympic lifter, Wes Kitts, who may not go to the Olympics this year because there may not be no Olympics. But Wes Kitts, you know, is, has the American record in clean and jerk and snatch and um, is a super heavyweight. And what you'll see, or is a heavyweight, 109 kilo. And, oh, wow. you know, we started working together because a couple of years ago, he almost passed out. Uh, he did pass out. He blacked out at the uh, Pan Am Games when he cleaned like 460. And he, you know, received 460 pounds in the Olympics, you know, like Olympic lifting, and then up on his neck and then blacked out. And uh, that's not a great way to win a competition. And what we work on is his ability to receive weight, pressurize, repressurize for the next movement. And that's yeah. the same skill that we teach the person who has altered breathing mechanics, altered stabilization mechanics. So we get see this. The, get out of bed, get off the toilet. <laughs> the whole thing. And so yeah. what, once you start to become aware of it, you sort of become obsessed with it. And then you see that you can do a whole lot of very interesting things with your brain and your physiology and even CO2 tolerance. So, you know, um, we see it as one of the ways that we definitely are going to are attacking chronic pain and persistent pain. And we also see it as a limiting factor to your aerobic power and your, your rate of force development. Yeah. Annie O'Connor is a fantastic physical therapist out of the Shirley Ryan ability lab in Chicago. And uh, she's really great at teaching clinicians how to explain pain to, to their patients. And one thing that she uses that is that the, uh, of all of your oxygen load, the nervous system itself takes up 20, 26% of that. Interesting. I um, had no idea. That's great. So the breathing part is that much important because your nerves, those sensitive nerves that are out there looking for trouble when they're choked of this oxygen, and I'm, I'm making this up. She has better language than me, of course. You don't want to use the word choke in front of a patient. Um, but when they're starving for this oxygen and they can't reach it, of course, your nerves are going to start to create some, uh, your nociceptors are going to start to send some danger signals, you know, like something's wrong here. I'm not getting, I'm not getting my food. Yeah, and we know that people who are CO2 intolerant, so who overbreathe very quickly because, you know, when the CO2 goes up because their brains are not comfortable with those high CO2 levels, yeah. right? We see that that same, that same paradigm exists. So I know how I have, to, I have to work on it too. Even doing these podcasts, I hear my voice and I, I breathe out all of my whole sentence at the whole time. And then at the very end, I got to try to <gasps> and then get to the next part, you know, just so to we, keep up we, with my brain. So to answer your question before this question, I integrate my breathing into my soft tissue work. If I can get a few minutes in the morning and do it, and definitely during my warmups, you know, I'm very conscious of my breathing. We have this, we live in Marin, home of mountain biking, and we live Look very at you close. fancy pants. I know, we, it's pronounced Marin. <laughs> and uh, we live very close to this very brutal climb. So it's about, it's an hour straight uphill from our house. Oh. And it's, and it's, it's brutal. Um, and I used to be able to say, someday I'm going to do this and I'll crush it. I don't have to stop once. And I'll be able to ride this whole thing. And now I can do the whole thing nose only breathing. That's, and that's um, amazing. That's great, dude. And I can, I've gotten so comfortable improving my mechanical efficiency. So even if you go to Leon Chaitao and his book on breathing and breathing disorders, you know, the diaphragm will count for 30% of the oxygen needs of the body in aerobic exercise, 30%. So yeah. a really inefficient diaphragm is going to be a problem. But now I can push 90% heart rates, 90%. Nose only breathing, which is incredible. It's, uh, borderline superhuman. Well, <laughs> let's just say I'm 47. I have no hair. 
Uh, my front teeth are fake. I'm, I have a girl's name that rhymes with smelly jelly belly. Definitely not super. We, we, uh, we are brothers from a different mother in a lot of different ways. For sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why do I want to become a physical therapist and help people? Because I want to get back at them. I want to cause them pain. For Yeah. Physical terrorist. That's right. No. Uh, one of the great things about this time that we're living in now is that uh, the PTs and the Kairos and hopefully everyone else that comes along and the trainers and the strength and conditioning coaches, uh, everyone's starting to speak the same language. It's, it's awesome. Um, if you are in our business, you can't tell who's a coach, who's a Cairo, who's a physio. Yep. You know, it's like, it's like, I went, I went to see you, you went to university. If you're good in our business. That's right. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter what university you went to, you know, it just yeah. doesn't matter. It, it turns out, you know, all roads lead to Rome. What part of the human, well, you know, what part of, you know, maybe it's different which, which system you prioritize first or when, but ultimately what set of tools you use, but you know, it, it, you know, what part of the nervous system is not important. What part of the, you know, joint of the, you know, me, it's not important. So, you know, it, it really is. We have chiros on our, on our staff. We have osteos on our staff. We have physios on our staff. And it just turns out this doesn't matter because every, everyone is thinking and talking in the same way. Uh, speaking of tools, is there anything that you can offer the millions and millions or, or all five of the listeners of this podcast uh, as far as the ready state goes? Is there something you can throw at them to chew on? Uh, you know, one of the things a that place we, to go, a thing to look at. Yeah. Or, one of the things we tried to do when we were at the ready state is we tried to do some lifting for all of the coaches and clinicians out there because, you know, the, sometimes that magic hour is just inundated with actually trying to get some work done. Yeah. And then the follow up, like, what do I do at home? Like, well, that's another hour. Right. And, you know, so, um, one of the things we tried to do is teach, we give everyone a two week free trial on purpose so that we can, it was kind of our gift to the world so that we could at least have patients and athletes be able to learn the basics of self care. When do I go too deep? What's self mobilizing? What are the principles? What does it look like? And we have a two week on ramp program for self care so that at least we could get everyone up to sort of level up, like let's just get a GED in this stuff. And then we can talk about college and stuff after that, but you deserve a high school education in this. Mm -hmm. So what we really tried to do is, is level up everyone through our on-ramp program. And then if you want to see how we teach and apply this, the Instagram or the YouTube at the ready state really is the way uh, we kind of think and express this, you know, instead of just talking theory, which everyone loves to do, I, I won't debate anyone on the internet anymore unless I'm like, unless we're in the same room at the same place talking about the same things, I can't, yeah. can't be sure we're even having the same conversation, right? Throw down. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm like, you, do, you know, what, what are we even talking about? So we uh, try to be completely transparent and be the model of transparency in how we treat, how we think, the, our associations, our friendships, our influences, and we try to do all that through social media when we can. That's great. Um, I saw a child a young a young boy and you know i was driving i forget what i was driving but he lives somewhere in my neighborhood and he built this big sign with a big rainbow on it and everyone driving by it the, the sign just says everything's going to be okay and he's waving to everyone as we drive by i'm like that's really cute for the times you know uh, he doesn't he doesn't have rent to pay so shut the hell up kid <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
leading to that, my, my final sort of thing for everybody is, do you have any parting words in these strenuous times? Um, oh, it's so good. Well, let me just say that my daughter, as we're coming home, she's like, you know, I'm going to have a lemonade stand. She's 11. And I was like, she's like, but instead of lemonades, we rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> and she's like, how much is too much? She's just like, $5. That's right. I was like, $5 a roll, kid. I mean, like, you get it. Like, this is your, this is your <laughs> moment. Just too much. She's, she's into pricing and, and <laughs> finding out her market. You know, and she's in. She's in. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, has been consistent with how we have thought and, and even just my own experience. Like I, I want to know why, you know, that's just show me why and I can manage it myself. And um, uh, I referenced this recently is that uh, there's a company called 30 seconds out. They were uh, military guys who retired and they started a kind of a clothing line, but they have a bumper sticker that says no one is coming. It's up to us. And that's not some kind of, you know, bourgeois sentiment around anti-establishmentarianism that is the idea that it's on us that we can do this we actually have all the tools we need and we have the community we need and the friends we need and the resources we need and the big government has been clearly demonstrated that it is not the uh not the arbiter of of good experience and um in this crisis and uh, we got this. So, you know, what I want to remind you is that you always have the opportunity to, you know, we've been saying it for over 10 years, every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. Like you have a right to make yourself feel better and to change the way you move and to, to be an experiment and an N of one. And um, we trust you. And we, we actually think that people are far more competent than uh, sometimes the internet would have you believe. Damn, damn straight. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, it's very apparent that not only are you intelligent and you're on fire with what you are trying to bring to the world. I am completely positive that this is not your magnum opus. You've got much more in you to produce for the world. Um, it's also hold very, on, hold on to your butt. Wait, well, I've got, <laughs> I got some things to say. Yeah. Well, you know, I, oh, 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 come no, on. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just said, you know, my, I have so many smart friends. It's it, like, I, I feel like the dullard in the room. You know, there's, I just have these. It's the best place to be, right? It is, man. And I, I am just like, sometimes it takes me, you know, I make an association. I'm like, wow, I can't believe it took me a lot long to think of that. Like, you know, I am just not as, not very smart, not very bright, but I'm, I'm getting there. It sounds like that's the relationship you hold with your spouse as well. <laughs> Obviously you love her and you respect her and she's running the show. So that's true. Uh, props to her as well. And, um, you know, hopefully we meet up again. I'm going to uh, try to keep in contact and follow you around and, and annoy you as much as I possibly can uh, because you're someone that we definitely all need to keep keep an eye on. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, I am sp- was supposed to go to the Parker schools, um, the, yeah. you know, Parker College, and I'm hoping that I end up yeah. there. And, you know, I just think about all of these students and, you know, all of the things that are going on. And, um, you know, imagine being a senior or imagine being a grad student. And it's just, uh, it's shocking and terrifying. Yeah, but we will, we will, it's all going to be okay. We have two choices, right? (laughs) It's going to be okay or it's going to be okay. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.